It is now May 18th, 2014. Our message today is called Kingdom Blood. And uh, I am not going to apologize for passion today. I'm not going to apologize for excitement or for the moving of the Holy Ghost in our service. This belongs to Him. He reigns supreme here. The spirit of prophecy is the spirit of Jesus. The Bible says it. And Corinthians 14, 26 says these things must be done. Not if your committee likes it. Not if your denomination approves of it. Not if it meets the consensus of the people. It simply must be done. So I say let King Jesus reign and all the rest of us follow his lead. Amen. Amen. Let's start today in Matthew 3. Tell me there when you are there. I'm going to pick up with the message that announced Jesus. This is Matthew 3, starting in verse 1. In those days, John the baptizer, or Baptist if you like, came preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. There are so many ways to think about this verse, but I want to give you a few. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is upon us. The kingdom of heaven is about to envelop us. Or as one translation puts it, the kingdom of God is breaking in. The picture that the Bible paints is that we are standing on a ball of dirt that has an illegitimate ruler called the prince of the power of the air. And that if we repent... It makes way for the kingdom of God to enter into our atmosphere and to change us. A long time before the kingdom enters into the atmosphere, it has to enter into your heart. The message that prepared the way for Jesus is repent. The kingdom is near. Look at the fourth chapter in the 17th verse. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is Near. Can you say that they were on point? Can you say that they had the same message? The message that announced him is repent. The kingdom is here. The message he preached is repent. The kingdom is near. There's a reason for this. In our day, it's become very popular to preach a different kind of gospel. I think some of you may have even been surprised Wednesday night. I got a little bit fired up. I intended to simply stand up and share communion with you. And an hour and a half later, you got a treatise on the replacement gospel. It is true that if you stand in the faith and your eyes close, you will be standing in the presence of the Father in a kingdom that we refer to as heaven. It is not true that that is the goal of salvation or that that is the ultimate plan of God. The Bible presents a different picture The kingdom of heaven is coming upon the earth. Prepare for it. The reign of the king of heaven is going to envelop the earth. Prepare for it. Heaven's will will be done on the earth. Prepare for it. This message is entirely different than the escapist mentality that simply says, get me out of here, this is not my home. This message is what Jesus preached in the Beatitudes when he said, the meek shall inherit the earth. Not get me out of here. I don't care about it. This is my home. And I know it's popular to talk differently about it. But the truth is, this planet was entrusted to mankind and we did a sorry job. So the King Almighty came in the image of Adam. And he cleaned up the mess for us. And those that will join his cause are here to repair the planet. The kingdom of God is coming upon us. Look at Mark, the first chapter, in the 15th verse. Lest you think I'm cherry-picking scriptures. Say there when you were there. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. What is the good news? You don't have to live under the reign of tyranny, of sin anymore. What is the good news? The one that has held the nations enslaved is being uprooted one heart and one life at a time. Every time a man is rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light by our King Jesus, 
We are populating the kingdom of heaven even on the earth and depopulating hell. I got to tell you, friends, that when you live a hellish life now, that's what you inherit for eternity. And it is suffering twice over. The good news is that peace, love, joy, power in the Holy Ghost is available now. Not in the age to come only, now. We can all agree that there will be a full manifestation of the kingdom coming down from the Father of heavenly lights. John the Revelator saw heaven coming down. He saw the new Jerusalem, the bride of Christ, set up on the earth. But I see the bride of Christ set up on the earth now. I see you here now. I see the kingdom in you now. Every time we pray and we see a demon come out of a human being, I say the kingdom is broken in. Every time we pray and we see a satanic illness fall, I say the kingdom is broken in. Every time we see a rebellious, angry young man with scabs on his fists and calluses on his heart call out to King Jesus, the kingdom has broken in. Look at Luke 10 and verse 9 with me. Say there when you were there. I love Luke 10. Do you love the Word of God? Come on, somebody. Do you love the Word of God? When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Boy, I've taken that one literally. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Why do you heal the sick? Because you're showing them the kingdom is near. I wanted to encourage you that we have been given authority from the king of the kingdom. The prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. We recite it from the time we're little in school. The same way that you might recite the golden rule. It comes from Matthew, the sixth chapter, in the ninth verse. It says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom we're going to. No, it's not what it says, is it? Get me the H-E double hockey sticks out of here. I'm going there. Is that what it says? Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father in That's where he is. But we're praying for his kingdom to come here. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the prayer of the church, the prayer of the saints. You die in the faith. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But when King Jesus returns, he's bringing with him those who have fallen asleep in him. And he's setting up a kingdom that will never perish, never fade. The prophet Daniel knew this. The second chapter of Daniel is about this. The seventh chapter of Daniel is about this. If we had paid attention to the first 39 books, when we got to the next 27, we would have had the right context. But when we only look at a few select phrases in the Newer Testament and then go reinterpret all of the Older Testament in the light of our misunderstanding of the Newer, we greatly err. The second chapter of Daniel sets up four kingdoms. The kingdom of Babylon, the kingdom of Medo-Persia, the kingdom of Greece, and the kingdom of Rome, and then the kingdom of God would be set up and it would consume all others and it would never, ever cease. The seventh chapter of Daniel says exactly the same thing and repeats it twice. The first chapter of Acts The men of God were waiting and they heard about the power of the Holy Spirit and they said, are you at that time going to restore the kingdom? The hope of the people of God was that the kingdom rule of God would be on earth. Today we have a lordless salvation, a kingdomless salvation. Jesus is simply there to get you richer, happier, fatter, tithing more. He's a means to your selfish end. His job is to make your life every day like Friday. But the biblical story is nothing like that story. The biblical story is that he is a king of an actual kingdom and he has invaded this planet and is taking it over because he made it and it's his. Yeah. 
Somebody read Luke 17, 20 with me. Come on, somebody. Are y'all here today? Once having been asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, why would they ask such a thing? Because it was the hope of Israel. Jesus replied, the kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. A long time before he sets up the kingdom on the earth, he sets up the kingdom inside of his people. In the name of Jesus, the citizens are prepared and then the kingdom manifests. Another way to say it is the kingdom enters you before the world is enveloped by the kingdom. In this way, you are living, walking, breathing testimony of the sovereignty of God. When they see your life enveloped in his rule, when they see you walking in the light as he is in the light, they will want that light. In the name of Jesus, we are the biblical message as we walk around because as it has happened to us, so it will happen to the whole earth. Did you know that the earth, according to Romans 8, is longing, groaning, burdened, frustrated because it has been subjected to frustration. It's waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. This earth gets renovated the same way my sorry life got renovated. I was redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to me by my forefathers and by the glory and power and preciousness of our God, I've been made new. Oh, my goodness, church. If we understood the good news, there would be great joy. When the angels announced it to the shepherds, they said, we bring you good news of great joy. When you understand the good news, it's more than fire insurance. When you understand the good news, it's more than appealing to selfish ambition. The good news is a day when death is destroyed, the shroud that enfolds all people wiped away forever. Isaiah understood this, and in the 25th chapter, he wrote about it. In fact, all of the Bible points to this. Turn with me to the third chapter of John. Say there when you are there. In the third chapter of John, the citizens are prepared so that the kingdom can manifest. How does a citizen get prepared? You know, there are countries in the world that allow you to have a dual citizenship. I don't know whether you'd be happy or disappointed to find out the kingdom of God is not one of them. You have to divorce one king to marry the other. You have to die to one that you might live to the other. The living God is a jealous God and he will not share you with an imposter that walks around masquerading as an angel of light. In the third chapter of John, in the third verse, we find it said like this. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he is Born again. Another way to say it is to be born from above. There has to be a fundamental regeneration inside of us to even see the kingdom. So I've been explaining the kingdom. I've been talking about the kingdom. And my friends and family don't see the kingdom. They cannot see it unless the Lord opened their eyes. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and said, the God of this world has blinded them and our message is veiled. But we have the power to remove that veil in the name of Jesus. We can call in the air attack. We can begin to call on the heavenly powers to move upon the earth. We can pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. We don't have to stand for this rebellious imp masquerading as a king. We don't have to. In the name of Jesus, the chapter 10 of Luke has given us power over every power of the enemy. It's time we walk in it. The new capital of the kingdom is no longer a place like Las Vegas. It's no longer a place that men would call sin city. Turn with me to Ephesians 2. Say there when you are there. Two 
in verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people. This promise was given to Israel and we are being included in their promise. They were God's people and we are now fellow citizens with them. And members of God's households built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. The almighty God dwells in the high and the lofty places, but also in the hearts of humble, broken men. We were dissatisfied with this kingdom that we were living in, and we began to yearn for another, a better kingdom. And he establishes his rule in our hearts. As we begin to call him Lord, as that begins to be a true statement, he owns us and controls us. His commands determine our lives. As that becomes true, the kingdom begins to manifest in our lives. Look at Hebrews 11. In the 11th chapter of Hebrews, in the 8th verse, we see it said this way. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place, he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. The patriarchs of the faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were waiting for the establishment of a city on earth that would be God's temple. The book of Micah says all nations will stream to it. The book of Isaiah says we'll be guided by his light from there. The book of Isaiah says men will grab the sons of God by their shoulders and ask them to be taught. What an interesting thing. There was a German historian. He wrote about this process. He wrote about it in a negative sense because he was talking about the geopolitical environment of men rather than the kingdom of light and kingdom of darkness. In a book called Colonialism, a theoretical overview, he gives a three-sentence definition of what it means to colonize. He said colonialism is a relationship between an indigenous majority. Somebody say majority. In a minority of foreign invaders, the first thing that describes colonization is when you have an invading group that is in the minority and an indigenous group in the majority. You know what, friends? This is why the kingdom will always be made up of a remnant. This is why most people are going to think you're crazy. It's how they treated your king. It's how they treated his apostles. And if they treat you differently, it says more about you than it does them. Paul wrote to Timothy and said, In fact, anyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. The second thing that Jürgen Osterhamel's book says is the fundamental decisions affecting the lives of the colonized people are defined in a distant metropolis. In other words, when speaking of the colonization of America, we have a minority on the eastern seaboard. We have a majority in the great kingdom of Britain. And the king in Britain is trying to make decisions from that little island that affected this whole nation. You know, I've traveled a little bit, and most of the time the word colonization and imperialism go together. And I don't want to teach on their distinctives today, nor do I want to drag you through history lessons today. I simply want to say that in every nation that an imperial power was thrown out of, the people say the same thing. They robbed us. They stole from us. They raped us. They destroyed our land. 
And in every nation where I've heard that and found it to be rooted in truthful elements, I've also seen that they built roads, they built electricity, they built the infrastructure that the people enjoy and brought them into the new century. See, one of the problems with the way that men do this is it's based on selfish interests. It's based on greed. But the kingdom of God is not like that. The third thing that defined colonizing is the colonizers rejected cultural compromise with the indigenous people and are convinced of their own superiority. In other words, they wore funny red coats even in the American South. In other words, they were convinced before they got to India, before they got to Africa, that they were in fact superior and had a mandate to rule. And all of us can say, oh, wow, that's ridiculous because we have this little document that formed a more perfect union and kicked off the bonds of tyranny, and I support it 100%. Of course, I'm not talking about colonizing with geopolitical powers. I'm talking about the kingdom of God. I'm talking about a remnant that is behind enemy lines, that is establishing something that ultimately benefits all people. I'm talking about people who do not make our decisions based on the circumstances of the day. Our decisions were made in a distant metropolis called the kingdom of God. I'm talking about a people that are not convinced of our superiority. We're convinced of his superiority. I think it was prophesied during worship today that he was superior in every way out of the book of Colossians. What does that mean? You know, when you think about this, to compare one kingdom with the other, it might enlighten you. If you wanted to conquer a continent, if you wanted to establish the East India Trading Company in a place like India, and I've been to India seven times and loved those brothers, and you, the people of LCMF, support 20 churches there. If you wanted to do that, the king of England did not get on a ship. He did not go to India. What did he do? You find expendable, pawn-like foot soldiers. And you send them, and their blood purchases your right to rule. They're mowed down by the thousands upon thousands. And the cost to the indigenous people is just as high, if not many times higher. Mowed down, their blood soaks the land. Reminds me of a scene in a movie called The Outlaw Josie Wales, My Father Loved. The outlaw Josie Wales set himself up on the opposite side of a river and he got an old rifle with an old old scope on it. And Fletcher is a part of the Union Army and he's chasing outlaw Josie Wales. And he's discussing with his other compatriots, why is he just sitting there on the other side of the river? Surely he can't hope to shoot us all. Fletcher says, hey, you men, you you men over there, y'all all go get down front. No, he can't shoot us all, just the ones up front there. Yeah, you can't help but chuckle because ever since Credence Clearwater Revival was singing about the senator's son, something in you knows. Other men's blood pays for the rich and the powerful's right to rule. That is not how our king does things. The king of kings, the lord of lords, said in John 18... Verse 36, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. The kingdom of God operates differently than the kingdom of men. Pilate says, you are a king then. Jesus answered him, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. I want you to get it, though. Jesus did not offer his followers blood. Whose blood did Jesus offer? The kingdom of God was not founded on expendable soldiers. The kingdom of God was founded on the king of the kingdom's blood. See, the the way this world does things is exactly the opposite of the kingdom of God. And we're going to turn it upside down, friends. In this world, you're great when men serve you. 
in the kingdom that's coming on the world. If you want to be great, you serve men. Jesus set us this example in John 13. And he told us to do likewise. This kingdom operates on different principles. 2 Corinthians 10 in verse 3 says, The weapons, I'm sorry, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. When we contend with spiritual powers, when we pull down heavenly strongholds, we don't do it in a way that is selfish or destroys men's lives. We're a part of a colonization that is meant to bless men's lives, not to curse them, to help men and not hurt them. See, the shadow and type for this is Pharaoh ruling Egypt harshly and God sending a great deliverer. It is Egypt being under a great famine, but God raising up Joseph, the Zaphonoth Panea Savior, to provide for them. The shadow and type for this is man's reign and man's rule brought destruction. So God brought a different kind of man that he filled with himself. Oh, are you tired of men's ways and men's rules? I want the kingdom of God. Could you look at Luke 18 and verse 17 with me? Say there when you were there. If I have not offended you yet, there's still time. Hang in there. I might yet get there. If I've already offended you, hang on. You never know what you might learn. What good would it do for us to get together and talk about what we've always agreed is true and never challenge each other with new ideas? The very idea is cowardice, is it not? Here's the 14 points you can preach on, Pastor. Tell me the new 14 points that we agreed on 300 years ago in a new and exciting way every week. So we raise up for ourselves a six-foot-tall icicle that speaks like a politician and acts like the world when no one's looking. I believe you can see the kingdom in a man's life by his deeds more than his words. And if his deeds don't match his words, you ought not accept his leadership. And if you can't know his deeds because the secret service agents that wear the funny coats and the earpieces protect him from you so that you cannot see him, then you need to examine how it's possible to pastor sheep without ever touching sheep. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. This kingdom is not based on superior strength. It's based on superior submission. It's not based on forcefulness in the sense of the world. It's based on a loving submission and trust like a child to a father. The kingdom of God cannot come about through the military might of men. Constantine tried it in the 4th century. He was a pagan. He died a pagan and he founded a pagan church. But the church of Jesus Christ is based on being born again. Born of heaven. Becoming like a child and returning to your father for him to direct your life. It's not possible for you to be a Christian and still direct your own life. You've not become like a child. The kingdom of God is selfless. Turn with me to Philippians. We'll be in the second chapter of Philippians. Kings send other men's children to die for them. The king of heaven, the rule that is going to encompass the earth earth and has started with the faithful all over the globe, sent the Son of God to die for us. In Philippians 2, starting in verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. That sounds a lot different than buying the nicest house, nicest jet, nicest car, calling yourself blessed and telling other people that they can be blessed if they simply give to you, God will bless them. I don't see that the apostles of God actually did such things. We put up with it today because they tell us what our itching ears want to hear. 
Basically, that you do not have to have a king of your kingdom. You can do as you like and will inherit all of the blessings. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but the interest of others. And here we find a principle of the kingdom is that it is always outward focused. The kingdom of God starts in Jerusalem. And it moves to Judea and Samaria and the outer edges of the earth as far as us. The kingdom of God is always focused outward. When the kingdom is contorted and twisted into something that focuses inward, it becomes selfish and corrupt and powerless. And so it begins to talk about what it has rather than what it does. I say that the Holy Spirit of God comes upon you not to make you rich or give you trinkets or to collect gold dust or angel feathers. The Spirit of God comes upon you to carry the gospel to the furthest corners of the planet, to face down the most satanic opposition there is and smile while you do it. This is what the Spirit of God is about. He's in the liberating, saving business. He sets up remnants everywhere that model His kingdom. And as they model it, people that want to become like children see it and are saved. And those who don't continue, but their reign will come to an end. In Philippians 2, he goes on to say, Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Oh, what king that ever established a colony? came and cut down wood and showed people how to make houses? What king that ever established a colony showed people how to farm land or how to produce good crops? But our king, he showed us so that the writers of the gospels and scriptures could say, we must walk as Jesus walked. He set us a good example. He loved not his life so much as to shrink from death. And he asked the very same thing of us. The king of the kingdom stooped down to the lowest place to raise you to the highest place. But he asked you to do the same with everyone that you meet. Oh, this is not a popular gospel. We would rather eat donuts, get our gift certificates, and move on. It's easier to think that our wealth and affluence is what wins the world. But if that was true, then God got it wrong with Jesus, didn't he? God got it wrong with the apostles, didn't he? What we've decided is that their way won't work anymore. We're trying to adapt the kingdom to today's climate. Rather than letting the kingdom break into this atmosphere and thoroughly renovate it. Church, I don't want to bring the kingdom of God down to our level. I don't like our level, which is why I love the kingdom of God. He's taking me to higher ground. I'm not pulling him into lower ground. We don't have to appeal to your base nature to get you to support the kingdom of God. If you're in love with its king, you will support his causes. Oh, that we could be delivered from these milksop pansy preachers. Of course, we could only blame them so much. Where would they be if the people didn't want them, didn't watch them, didn't support them? See, they're simply a reflection of where the heart of our nation is. No longer do we read the missionary stories of David Livingstone, C.T. Studd, John Gibson Patton, We don't do it anymore. We don't admire those men. We want to find 12 more ways to get rich. We want to find 12 more ways to grow your church as if numbers were the goal. Poor Jesus. He didn't understand church growth strategies. He preached on things that turned 5,000 into 12 and then turned on those 12 and said, do you want to leave too? Poor Jesus. Apparently, he believed that by sacrificing all for the kingdom, it would inspire men to follow him. And I think he did a pretty decent job. Why do you think it would work any differently with you? We need to go to a new evangelism clinic, we think. We need to find a new sleek way to present the gospel 
As one book put it, we need a grace explosion. I don't even want to tell you what I think of a grace explosion. These men did not preach a grace explosion. Yeah, you can laugh at that a little bit. It it deserves a chuckle. These men did not preach a grace explosion. They preached, repent, the kingdom is at hand. When you meet a man that knows he needs to repent, you're meeting a man that is coming into contact with the kingdom. When you meet men that think they have no need to repent, they're trying to hop over the wall and come in some other way. It'll never work. They can describe Jesus. They can quote Jesus. They can dress like Jesus. But it's not Jesus. I knew an Elvis once in Louisiana. But he couldn't sing, and he wasn't the Elvis you thought of when I mentioned his name. The Jehovah's Witness come to my door almost every Saturday, and they describe a Jesus, but he's a different Jesus. Every once in a while, the Mormons work up the courage to come back to my house, but they're talking about a different Jesus. The Jesus that I know so invaded my heart that it invaded my family's life. That it invaded my neighbors' lives. That it invaded my workplace. That it invaded everything around us. And we're setting up little colonies called the kingdom. Turn with me to Colossians, the first chapter. Say there when you were there. Starting in verse 13. Chapter 1, verse 13. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. What word does dominion sound like? Domination. Dominated by darkness. See, men that are rescued are men that knew they were being dominated by sin, mastered by sin and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus went behind enemy lines, and He grabbed the worst of sinners. Oh, I showed you a picture of William Booth. He was the man who founded the Salvation Army. And you were struck by His beauty, weren't you? I mean, there was a certain majesty about Him. In fact, he looks so much like a Ken doll, doesn't he? Nobody would have accepted him as pastor today. But look where his heart was. Go for souls and go for the worst. This is the heart of God. He goes behind enemy lines and says, who's being dominated? I'll liberate you. And those that have been dominated and kicked around by the spirit of the world, they want the freedom of our God. They want Christ. I don't have any desire to fill up a church full of yuppies that don't have any need of Jesus. They simply want to put him on their mantle next to their picture of themselves in leather chaps and Harleys like they're bikers. It looks like Halloween. It's the most, I've lived around and been around bikers. They don't look anything like the people that live in Sugarland. I promise. It's dress up day. Nobody's happy with their life. They want to pretend any day of the week to be someone else. Because they've never met the regenerating power of Jesus. Then they wouldn't have an identity crisis. My son got a chance to preach in a local church. And it happened to be Halloween. And they said, oh, you men, I know you're so upset. It grieves your spirit to see that it's Halloween and all the people are participating. They put on masks and they're going door to door for candy. He said, but I'm more grieved by the men that are sitting in this room wearing a mask today. And isn't that the truth? They're sitting on the fence waiting to see who wins the struggle and They're saying all along that they're on both sides. God vomits such people out of His mouth. I say what the spirit of Elijah said, pick a side and get on it. How long will you waver between two opinions? If God is God, serve Him. 
If Baal is God, go have a good time. You'll get hell now and hell then. We were rescued, friends. Our king stepped down. I got excited and didn't read to you Philippians 2, and that's okay. I got plenty more opportunities. But he took on the appearance of a regular man. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He didn't need power and prestige. He's going to win you through his deeds. Oh, King Jesus. And he humbled himself to a place of death, and not just death, death on a cross. You know, if the pastor of your congregation won't carry out the trash, I promise he won't get crucified in Christ. You know, you find out who friends are on moving day, don't you, Michael? Everybody shows up when you got donuts. Nobody shows up when it's time to move unless they've been regenerated. Everybody is all for the latest social cause as long as everybody's for the social cause. But if it rains, if it becomes an unpopular cause, if you might get put in jail for the cause... God's calling them to something else, you know. The world cannot tolerate this kind of hypocrisy and the kingdom of God does not have room for these dainty little flowers. Men of God have the purposes of God in their hearts and it drives us and compels us and we couldn't back down even from Rome if we had to face them. Turn with me to Hebrews 10 and we'll hop back on track. Y'all still with me today? Michael, I missed y'all when I wasn't at the prison this morning. I missed out, didn't I? Tell me, y'all got a good day, didn't you? I can tell. Somebody got liberated today? A bunch of them, huh? See, you ought to be jealous for those souls. Who gets up on Sunday morning, meets at their church at 5 a.m., drives an hour and a half away for a chance to preach to sex offenders. You know who does something like that? Somebody that believes that the power of the gospel can change the worst of sinners. That's not something you just read about in a book, friends. It's something that you've experienced and become convinced of. Can any of you tell me what this tastes like? Well, you think you can. But none of you can tell me what it tastes like to me, can you? See, once I've tasted of Jesus, once I've loved Jesus, once I've been in contact with Jesus, the man with the experience is not at the mercy of the man who merely has an argument. They can argue all day long, but I've met him, and I love him, and he loves me, and I feel him move. And that's what I live for. How about you? In Hebrews 10, we find out something of his motivations in Hebrews 10 and verse 5. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come, what's it say? To do your will. Matthew 7, 21 says, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter my kingdom, but only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. 1 John, the first chapter, says, If you say that you walk in the light and walk in darkness, I'm sorry, if you say you have fellowship with the Father and walk in darkness, you lie and do not practice the truth. To be in the kingdom means that you do the will of the king. That means his dominion has extended to you. Why was a body prepared for Jesus? A body was prepared for Jesus to show us what it looked like when somebody did the will of God. He demonstrated the kingdom for us. So he could say, repent, the kingdom is near. How is the kingdom near? Because I'm in it and I'm standing next to you. Oh my goodness. He shares in our flesh and blood, Hebrews 2 says. He shared in it. He was made like us in every way. He destroyed death for us. 
Turn with me to 1 John. You'll all recognize this. I'm sorry, John, the first chapter. Say there when you're there. Don't anybody that's got a Bible not turn to this. This nation all believes that we know the Bible. You know it'll pop up on the screen, but if there were no screens, do you know it? You got it on your electronic phone, but do you know it? What do you do when you have to swim across a river like we did in Honduras and your phone won't work? What do you do the 40th day in India when you haven't seen power for three weeks? At least not power you can plug something else into. You better get plugged into the power of the Holy Ghost. There may be days coming when some of our conveniences are stripped away. But if you've hidden this word in your heart, then what is valued can never be taken away. Ask my friends in the Chinese underground church what the word of God means to them. Oh, friends, we need to learn it. We need to love it. It is the heart and character of our God. Are you in John? Let's read John 14. Chapter 1, verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. The Word became what? If you like King Jimmy, then he tabernacled among us. little portable temple for you to see. We're taught by theologians, and they're right, that the linchpin of the gospel is the resurrection of the dead. If the resurrection of the dead never occurred, then Jesus would have been like so many other teachers. But the resurrection of the dead distinguished him from all others. Of course, that's true. But men have been raised from the dead in the Scripture. Jesus is the only one that was the Word of God before being incarnated the Word of God when incarnated, and the Word of God after glorified. This is unique in world history. Elijah's bones raised a man from the dead after Elijah was dead. Paul laid on somebody and raised him from the dead. A boy named Eutychus that fell from a window. Resurrection of the dead happened and happens today. The incarnation, though, What a special, special miracle. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of you who are very pious may not like this. But I'm going to argue that the incarnation happens every time a man has heard from God and does exactly what he says, at least for that moment. Because then the word of God, the king's word from that distant metropolis has entered into you. And in that moment that you are carrying it out, His Word has got flesh on it. Now, you're all together different. You weren't righteous before the Word entered you and the Word enters, but other things enter too. Jesus was altogether perfect, the visible image of the invisible God. Do you ever think if I could have been there? Oh, glory day, if I could have seen Him walking on the Sea of Galilee. Oh, man, if I'd been there when He spoke to the widow of Nain's son. If I'd been there when He multiplied the fish. Do you ever think if I could have been there? What's wrong with you people? The rest of you are lying or sleeping? Come on now, I'm preaching better than you're listening. Do you wish you had been there? What if our neighbors get a chance to be there when they see you act and do the things that he did. Because John 14 and 15 tells us we would do greater things. Apparently, he expected when he put his word in you, when he set up the baptism of the Holy Ghost in you. Peter said he's given us everything we need for life and godliness through his divine power. Have you ever heard about a miracle in a distant land and you wished... You had been there. I've seen them in 20-some-odd countries and seen them here too. You know where you never see them? Where people don't believe and try. Where the Word never gets flesh on it. Where it stays in conceptual land. We're all mythical Christians somehow. 
You know, when, when we think about Christ, it's wonderful. When we pray to Christ, it's wonderful. When we talk about Christ among ourselves, it's wonderful. But we never actually put some meat on it out there. Oh, church, they're waiting for an incarnation. You're the body of Christ. You're the hands and feet of Christ. When God wanted to deliver Israel from Egypt, he sent a man to do it. God did it, but he did it through the man. When God wants to raise the dead, he sends a man to put his hands on them as his representative. He's already made his trip to this colony. And he soaked the land with his blood to redeem the land and to redeem its people. Now he's asking that you carry on his work in his stead. He's standing in the capital waiting to bring that capital here inside of you. Come on now. How dare we stand back and say, oh, he's done everything that needed to be done. Then how did the apostle Paul say, I fill up in my flesh what is lacking in regards to Christ's afflictions. Apparently, there's still work to be done. The question is not, is there something to do? The question is not, is God's Spirit here to empower you to do it? The question is, are you willing? Which brings me to the first chapter of Isaiah. He says, if you're willing and obedient, you'll eat from the best of the land. And we've taken out our black highlighters and crossed it out and said, we'll eat the best of the land. We'll eat the best of the land. Put I tithe on my Escalade. And we've left out, if you're willing and obedient you will eat the best of the land oh church are you willing and obedient turns me to john 8 in the name of jesus i'm gonna find the strength to wrap it up sometime in the next hour or so (laughs) oh it is so good not to work for springfield missouri it is so good not to work for a punchy old man in rome I work for the King of Kings. And we can preach and teach and pray and love and serve until He chooses to take us from this life. Are you in John 8? 8 and verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, He said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. An obvious allusion to something. Number one, he's standing in the temple courts where there are giant menorahs. They commemorated the time in the desert when the people followed a pillar of fire at night and a burning cloud during the day. When the cloud moved, they moved. Jesus is equating himself with the very presence of God. Does everybody agree? Oh, how exciting Jesus is the very presence of God. Do you agree? In John 9 and verse 5, he says something very, very similar. He said, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Do you agree Jesus said it? Then what is the meaning of Matthew 5? Turn with me to Matthew 5. In Matthew 5, starting in verse 14, he says, I am the light of the world. Oh, come on, church, wake up. What does he say? Does he say, I'm the light of the world? He says, you are the light of the world. If he said, I'm the light of the world, and that's the presence of God, the word of God in the flesh, what is it when you are the light of the world? You are the light of the world. The city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. How many people in the house? Everyone. In the same way, let your light shine in a dark closet. Go hide like pansies in the sand. What are you supposed to do? In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Why would they see your deeds and praise Him? Because you're citizens of His kingdom. And you've announced the kingdom's on its way. Why would they see what you do and praise him? Because they knew what you used to be and see what you are now. 
Why would they see your good deeds and praise him? They know that what stands before them is but a glove and God has slipped his hand in it and hit the devil in the face. Come on, church. We talk a good game, but it's time we back it up with power. We need that Holy Ghost fire that says, I want to be put at the plate. I want to stand and testify. I was dead the day I came into Christ, and if I live, I live to him. How about you? Is there a different kind? Now we say, we say, oh, but pastor, you're in full-time Christian ministry. I didn't see an option for part-time. Nobody ever showed me how to be a one-tenth Christian, and I'm glad. If we could be as committed as the homosexuals are to advancing their cause... If we could be as committed as the worldly are to their sin, we would already span this globe many times. The things that are being done on national television right now were unspeakable 40 years ago. Men would have thrown their TV sets out of their house and danced on them even if they were pagan men. And now we just can't get away from the 23rd channel, can we? We've given up the 23rd Psalm for the 23rd channel and we live by the warmth of its light. Church, you need to be careful about what you've accepted into your life, heart, home. It has a corrupting influence. I want to be the light of the world. Anybody want to do that with me? Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5 and see if we can bring a point to my ramblings. Say there when you were there. One young man over there, there it is. One of the real problems is we're Christians at church, but the workplace needs us to be Christians on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. Your family needs it. I'm sick of hearing about how bad pastor's kids are. Why don't we just tell the truth? Their daddies are pretty worthless too. That's how you get worthless children. Their daddies preached well and lived poorly. So how can you say that? Because the Bible says it. It tells us to choose our pastors based on their homes. We've decided to do it based on fundraising, speaking ability, looks. I mean, I hope y'all didn't choose me based on looks. Maybe Jennifer, but not me. It was Matthew. They chose Matthew. Matthew, the pretty one. Second Corinthians 5. Church, when you cannot be somewhere, you appoint a representative, an attorney, in fact. You give your name to somebody else to go and represent you. And Paul uses that language when he says, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making His appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. What is he saying? The King has already come, and the King has already made His first appearance. And now I stand in his stead and I'm continuing his message no different than if he were standing right here. We like to make differences because then less is required of us. We like to view the Apostle Paul in a glorified light because then you're not expected to do anything that he did. But the Apostle Paul would not allow you to view him in that light. He referred to himself as the chief of sinners. And the least of God's people. See, our constant elevation of superstar pastors is really to appease something else in us. It's to elect our great champions to go and do our work for us so nothing's required of us. We just sit on our salvation. I say the word has to become flesh in you. I say that if the work of God's going to get done, it's not going to be by some guy flying around on his jet masquerading as a pastor. I asked a friend, how do you pastor a church when you're gone 30 weeks? All right, I just thought I needed to be asked. When is pastoring the congregation God gave you not enough? Can Matthew really be your worship leader if he's only here three or four weeks a year? But what if everybody loves his CDs? Well, God's either called him to be here or he hadn't. Why do people put up with things like that? You know why they do. Because they want to tell people that their worship pastor is the one with all the CDs. 
If nobody ever makes a CD, will you still enjoy that the Spirit of God shows up? Friends, we're not competing. We don't have to compete. We're simply assigned to a field God has given us, and we love it. You know, maybe nobody else is impressed when they look at us, but I'm impressed when I look and see what God's doing in you. I pray that you grow and stretch and have the same pride in us. When a group of 100 people stretches to five continents and is not satisfied with that but wants to go further, when in two years you give away $200,000 and none of us uh, make that much in a year or half that much in a year, or in my case, a fifth of that much in a year. I'm pretty proud of that. You know why? The Word is becoming flesh. In John 20 and verse 21, again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am... In theological circles, they say that was for the apostles of Christ. Is there another kind? They do that because they want to give these men a special calling that you don't have. I don't think that a proper exegesis supports that. But my own testimony doesn't either. I believe that God is still sending men for their benefit. By the time you get to Acts 26, you see a man named Paul in the 17th verse quoting Jesus. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them. So we live in an age where the king has set up his colony and he is constantly sending messengers to expand it, to strengthen it, to encourage it, to prepare for the arrival of the king. I think probably at this point I can tell you that if it were your last 40 days on earth, what would you talk about? If it's your last 40 days, see, I visit a lot of hospitals, do a lot of funerals, do a lot of weddings. Your last 40 days on earth, I know you'd be talking about your next promotion. Oh, whatever Lexus new model is. Last 40 days on earth. What did Jesus talk about his last 40 days on earth? After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. He began his ministry with the kingdom of God and he finished his ministry with the kingdom of God and his kingdom of God still is our ministry, a word that used to mean service. We provide a service to the rest of the world by telling them a kingdom is breaking in. It's being established. It's established right here. I invite you to look and see. I invite you to watch my life. I invite you to watch my brother's lives. See if you don't see something supernatural in them. Too long the church has said, do as I say and not as I do. Jesus didn't preach those messages. He said, do not believe me unless I do the work my father does. And I say the same thing. If what you see are ordinary men, then go on your way with your ordinary life. But if you see something supernatural at work in ordinary men, then you have to consider the kingdom is upon you. In Revelation 11, we have a seventh angel sound his trumpet. And if there were six angels before him that sounded trumpets, which trumpet is this? It's the seventh trumpet. This ought to remind you of things like Jericho. When the seventh trumpet sounded the seventh time on the seventh day, Jericho fell and it became a part of the kingdom of God. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. What is the goal and plan of God? As Corinthians 15, 26 through 28 says, His rule will be recognized all in all from the distant metropolis to this ball of dirt. It will encompass the globe, and the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. 
when that seventh trumpet sounds, all who are his will be declared to be his and all that is not his will be purged. When the seventh trumpet sounds, we have the world remade anew. We can stand and pray for the second coming of Christ if you like. That's good. You can stand. That's not what I meant, but please go ahead, stand. But before we pray for the second coming of Christ, I would like to tell you that most of the world has not yet heard about the first coming of Christ. Before we ask for the seventh trumpet to blow, I would like to tell you that the work is not yet done of colonizing this planet for the kingdom of God. And I don't want them to die simply so that you can fly away. In the name of Jesus, we have got to cultivate, to develop, to encourage and nurture a heart for the dying and the lost. When you stand next to them, they ought to be standing next to the kingdom of God. Just as a closing note, if you take one plant species and you plant it in the middle of a field and it's a different species than the species that is there, botanists call it colonization because that new species threatens to take over the old species. Oh, in the name of Jesus, the blood of the king is colonizing this planet. And those who are covered in his blood are a new species and we threaten to take over the place. If you want to see the spirit of the Antichrist, you want to see the exact opposite of the same idea, all you need to do is look at Islam. They try to carry out in the flesh what we're supposed to be doing in the spirit. Church, we better wake up. We can bring people to the Lord or they can bring us to a sword. But the stakes are beginning to rise. Let us close together.